0: Our reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 to verse 32. I'll give you a moment to get there with me. Let me remind you that this is the word of God. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world.
1: How is it that you would like to be remembered? What kind of legacy would you like to leave behind? It's an interesting thing that the way Jesus wanted to be remembered was by a meal. You would think the son of God, the king of heaven, that it wouldn't just be any old meal, it would be a banquet, a banquet perhaps like nothing ever seen before. In 1971, the Shah of Iran Uh, whose name was Reza Pahlavi, gave a four-day celebration celebrating the 2,500th year of the Persian Empire. The celebration cost $100 million in 1971. Chat GPT reliably tells me that that is equal to $660 million today. I mean, did I say million? Yes, millions of dollars, that's right. Um, The focal point of the This huge banquet that was held in the desert was a city of tents that were erected, especially for the occasion where the lighting alone cost a million dollars in 1971. The guest list included over 600 dignitaries from 69 nations, including the Prime Minister of South Africa, who was there, um, was present in 1971. Now, that's the kind of meal that you would expect to commemorate the memory of the Lord Jesus, the Son of Heaven, the Son of God. And yet, the way that we commemorate the death of Jesus is through an ordinary, repeatable, sustainable meal. Something that is inclusive. You don't have to be a dignitary in order to be invited. And we don't need to spend whatever it was, a hundred million dollars. But Paul starts on quite a negative note, doesn't he? Did you remember? Have a look at verse 17. Opie, I don't know if we can have verse 17 on the screen. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. It's a stinging rebuke that he has for the Corinthians. Um, it's, it's clearly about uh, when they met together like we are doing this morning. It is about their gatherings. On a Sunday, it was. And so five times we have the repeated phrase, come together, verse 18. When you come together, verse 20, verse 33, verse 34. He's talking about their coming together meetings on a weekly basis. And it therefore directly applies to us this morning. And his basic point in this passage is that because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, our attitudes and our relationships at church when we are gathered should be cruciform. That is, they should be conformed to and informed by the cross. That's how we are to operate as a church when we when we meet, our relationships, our meetings, our gatherings should reflect the other person centeredness of the death of Jesus. There is no place at church for self-serving, for selfishness. Um, It is to be marked by an other person centeredness if it is to be Christian. And so there's a challenge for us this morning. I don't know what uh, burdens you are carrying, what anxieties you have maybe about the the week coming. Um, I don't know what your experience of church may have been. Many have had horrible experiences in church. Church can be a hard place to be. But here is direction from the Lord for us this morning as a church. Let's, Let's listen to it. And let's examine our own hearts as we hear his word. And so three things I want you to see quite simply from the passage. The first heading is despising the church. Look at verse 17 again. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you and to some extent i believe it no doubt there have been there have to be differences among you to show which of you have god's approval so then when you come together it is not the lord's supper that you eat for when you are eating some of you go ahead with your own private suppers as a result one person remains hungry and another gets drunk don't you have homes to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of god by humiliating those You have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. There's a play on the words body of Christ um, in this passage. Sometimes the body of Christ literally means Christ's body. Uh, So for example, if you look at verse um, 24, After he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body. Other times it has to do with the church uh, as it does there um, in verse 22. Do you despise the church of God or the body of Christ? And so um, body does mean the literal body of Christ, but it also can mean the church. Later on in chapter 12, Paul is gonna use the metaphor of the body exclusively to talk about the church, and so it's already in his mind. Something has gone wrong in the church at Corinth, and so comes a stinging rebuke. Divisions have arisen. Paul is strongly disapproving of the meetings and the reputation that they have that has reached his ears. It's not the Lord's Supper that you are eating. Whatever else it is that you are doing, verse 20, it's not the Lord's Supper that you are eating because you are divided. What are the divisions about? Well, it appears that there were social divisions between rich and poor Christians in the church at Corinth. (coughs) Excuse me. Some were allowed to go hungry while others were being gluttonous at the Lord's Supper, even becoming drunk. Can you imagine What an extraordinary thing it must have been to see that. It's unlikely that they, uh, it's hard to think how you could become gluttonous on a little piece of cracker and a small glass of grape juice that we have. Um, But it's, it's likely that what they had was really much more of a feast. It was something more like eat, love, pray a couple of weeks ago when we brought and shared food together. And what was happening is people were bringing their own food um, it was a bring-your-own evening which had the effect of amplifying the differences between the haves and the have-nots. It resembled, really, a pagan banquet such that was co- as was common in Corinth at the time. And so you can imagine Paul's concern is that members of the Church of God are being humiliated and despised, the have-nots, But also the watching world, if they'd popped their heads in to see this meal that the Christians were having, well, they would have hardly seen any difference between that and what was going on in the pagan temples on a Friday night. People gorging themselves, people getting drunk and others going without. And so the church was being scandalized externally by the watching world, but also internally as brothers and sisters We're being left out and despised, is the word that Paul uses. I guess wedding receptions are the closest we get to banqueting in our day and age. Some of us were at one last night. And aren't wedding receptions the perfect tool to punish relatives that you hate? You know, Aunt Agapantha, who you hated growing up, who gets relegated to table 57 behind the pillow in front of the toilets because she deserves it. There was a little bit of that going on in Corinth at the church. There was no picture of equality and of other person-centeredness, caring about those who didn't have very much. And as a result, Paul says they despised the church of God. Well, that's a challenge to us in our day and age, isn't it? For there are lots of natural divisions in, in our own Context that potentially can divide us. There are the obvious ones of race and language and ethnicity, but also socioeconomics and also educational differences between us. I wonder how we are as a church at welcoming people who might be different to us. Uh, Perhaps the Corinthian Christians were embarrassed by some of the people who had become Christians in the church. Perhaps they only wanted to come to church if their mates were there, people who were like them with similar interests and similar status. Perhaps they wanted their church to be full of important people because that would have made them feel like they were important. Perhaps they were unwilling to associate with and to serve people whose society deemed less important. Being disdainful about the church of God, despising the church of God. To want church on your own terms is very serious indeed, for it shows that you've not yet understood the death of Jesus. And so secondly, they were dissatisfied with the cross. Verses 23 to 26, and I'm gonna read it for us again. For I received from the Lord, verse 23, what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, there would have been many ways that Jesus could have instructed his followers to remember him by. His miracles were sensational and spectacular. His sinless life, his unique teaching, his resurrection, perhaps the most extraordinary event in Jesus' life and certainly in the history of the world, But how did he want them to remember him? It was by his death, eating a meal that reminded them of his death. At the center of the Christian message is a picture of weakness, defeat, and disgrace, the death of Jesus. I wanna read you a quote from an excellent book written by Rory Schreiner called Forgiven Forever, where he puts it quite freshly. He says, one of the features of crucifixion according to first century historian Josephus, is that the executioners could contort the body however they wanted. Arms up or arms down, right way up or upside down, weird clothes or nakedness, whatever. You were in control. The body of the condemned was your toy to have fun with. This person wasn't just being killed, they were being shamed. The death was slow, the sheer height of the victim made the death public and easily observed. The opportunities for humiliation were legion. For Rome, crucifixion meant this is a non-person. This is what comes of people who dare take us on. That's how crucifixion was used by Rome. That's what Jesus went through to purchase him a people from all backgrounds and from all levels of society. The danger for us, brothers and sisters, is that we might think that we are better than others. That was the danger for the church at Corinth. And it's a danger that we are to stand against in our own hearts this morning. Will you examine yourself? Is there somebody here this morning who you think you are superior to? Don't you realize that Jesus' blood was shed to purchase them just as it was shed to purchase you? Don't you realize how expensive they were and how much they are valued and how much it cost for them also to be included into this family of God, this body of Christ? The danger for the Corinthian Christians and the danger for us is that we will forget about the cross. The danger is that we will think, well, the message of the cross is something that you begin the Christian life with, but then we want to move on to other things. But Paul won't allow us to make that mistake. He wants the cross of Christ to be proclaimed. Look at verse 26. For how long do we need to proclaim this message, Paul? Verse 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You never outgrow it. We need it every day, every moment of every day, and certainly every Sunday when we gather. We need to be remembering the cross of Christ, the cost to purchase us and those that we might be a little bit ashamed to be associated with. The Christian church is a very unique organization for it brings together people from vastly different backgrounds, people who we ordinarily would never associate with or find ourselves near. That's what Christ has done. That is the power of the cross, is that it draws in people from around us. There is a great danger in every Christian generation that we will fall into the trap that many have fallen into of thinking that the cross is something that we begin with and then leave behind as we mature and grow as Christians. May that never be the case in this church. The cross is everything to us. Some take the view that the message of the cross is for non-Christians, and that we need to have other things for Christians. That's not Paul's view. Keep proclaiming the cross until the second coming. That's where we live. We live between the cross and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, looking back, remembering, looking forward, anticipating. What greater thing is there than the Son of God giving up his life for sinners? How can we ever outgrow that? How can we grow weary of hearing that message, of marveling at how we have been treated? Jesus on the cross in my place, verse 24, This is my body, which is for you, says Jesus. In your place, taking your punishment, my body broken as God unleashed his wrath against me instead of against you. Marvel at the grace of God again this morning on the cross. There is nothing greater. Let's resolve as a church never to outgrow the cross and to not grow weary of hearing about it. But we must be shaped by it. Not only must we be saved by it, but as a community of faith, we are to be shaped by it, and we are to live cruciform lives, lives informed by the cross, and lives conformed to the cross. We are people of the cross, unashamed of it, clinging to it, shaped and formed by it, For the Corinthians, one commentator says, the death of Christ was not central anymore. The return of Christ was not dominant anymore. And the love of Christ, therefore, was not evident anymore. In a word, it was not the Lord's Supper that you're celebrating. Whatever else it is, it had nothing to do with the death of Jesus. It had to do with one upmanship It had to do with gluttony. It had to do with hanging around only and ever in your own tribe and never loving those less fortunate. Do you think this is relevant for us today? Of course it is in our country, in our society, in our church. Why don't you resolve as you sit here after the service this morning to go and find somebody completely different to you and make sure that they've been welcomed. Let's put this into practice. Let's be cruciform in our relationships, in our heart, in our attitudes towards others. Here's the final heading this morning, discernment and discipline. I want you to just feel the weight and the seriousness of verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Are those not extraordinary words? Just look at them again. We are to examine ourselves, brothers and sisters. Verse 28 says it. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We must examine our own hearts. We must be aware of what's going on in our hearts. That is why it is encouraged that Children do not participate in communion in our circles. It's not because they are less than anybody else, but because there needs to be a certain level of the ability to examine your own hearts. To be self-aware, which normally comes later in age. The body of Christ given, broken, in order to form another body called the church... The church seldom impressive, seldom powerful, full of people who are needy and broken and sinful and ordinary and unremarkable like me. Examine yourself, discern your heart. Are you embarrassed to be associated? Do you think that you are better than or above? Let's check our attitude towards those around us. Let's stop the power game, says Paul. Don't feel superior socioeconomically or spiritually to those around you. Check yourself, judge yourself, and if you don't, you will be judged. And so examine your heart. Make sure your attitude towards others in the room around you is right, is shaped by the cross. Verse 29 For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, that is the church, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Judge yourself so that you don't have judgment put onto you. Discern your heart, examine your heart, or you will be examined. As they acted selfishly towards each other in these shameful Lord's suppers that they were celebrating, They were only thinking about themselves. And in doing that, they were denying the cross and were in danger of eating and drinking judgment on themselves. And so the Lord, in verse 32, through the apostle Paul says, nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined. Why? So that we will not be finally condemned. If you drink and eat in an unworthy way, if you are self-centered and self-serving, and if you are superior to others, the discipline of the Lord will fall on you. Some of them were sick. Some of them were weak, according to verse 30. It was the discipline of the Lord. It was a preview of something so that they had time to repent so they could avoid final condemnation. Brothers and sisters, we are to fear the loving discipline of the Lord. That's why some are weak and sick. The discipline of the Lord can be hard, but it is better than the alternative, which is final condemnation. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being trained and disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So what are we to do instead? Verse 33, then, so then my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. So that's why we ask you to keep the bread and the grape juice so that we can eat together as a sign of our unity. No one's better than anybody else. All of us are needy. All of us have needed the blood of Jesus shed for us to save us from our sin. Verse 34, anyone who's hungry, go and eat at home before you come to the gathering. Don't use the Lord's Supper to satiate yourself at church in front of others who are hungry. Eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Paul's not finished with them, which is why that last sentence says, and when I come, I'll give further directions. I think is what he's saying. Brothers and sisters, this applies to us. How remarkable the death of Jesus is. The most lofty person in the history of the world, voluntarily submitting himself to the most humiliating death in the history of the world. And as Christians lived cruciform lives, that is lives conformed to that other person-centered attitude of the cross, The world changed. Selfless, inclusive, welcoming, accepting, and forgiving was the community of Christ, the body of Christ. Christians have always been at the forefront of caring for the unfortunate. They've always stayed in the cities when the plagues came to Europe. They didn't run to the hills. They stayed. They nursed they looked after the sick and the dying because they had the view that if things got worse at least they had death to look forward to. That's a cruciform attitude and life. They were the ones looking after the lepers and the widows and the orphans. Christians invented social welfare and nursing and the Red Cross. But this morning, it starts with us, doesn't it? Perhaps you've realized that actually you're not part of the body of Christ, that you're not part of God's family. You need to accept this morning that the Lord Jesus' body was broken, as verse 24 says, for you. Today is a great day for you to accept the death of Jesus on your behalf and to enter into the body of Christ. Maybe others this morning have been convicted of spiritual snobbery, a need to repent. Is there somebody here that you need to change your attitude towards? Maybe there's somebody you need to apologize to or make right with. Maybe there's somebody you need to reconcile with. We do need to go out of our way and maybe become a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe make a bit of an effort so that everybody from every background will feel welcome and loved and included. Let's not be guilty of despising the church of God because of selfishness. We we normally sing when we distribute the bread and the grape juice. We're not gonna sing this morning. I've asked Teresa if she would just play quietly so that we can have a moment of reflection. Examine your hearts, verse 18. We'll sing at the end, but let's have a moment of reflection while the leaders um, dish out the bread and the grape juice for us, while Teresa plays for us. And let's examine our hearts and see what it is that we need to do. And it might be that somebody, it might be that there are some here this morning who actually need to not participate in the Lord's Supper until you have made right with others. that will be a good thing. Fear the loving hand of the Lord's discipline. So let's bow in a moment of reflection and quiet and I'm gonna ask the distributors of the grape juice and the bread to start distributing and let's retain it so that we can eat and drink together.